Well, good morning, everyone. I know why you're here. It's because we have central air. That's why you're here. Um, we're, getting to this, we're getting to that point in summer where you've done pretty much everything, haven't you? Just out of curiosity, who has even a vacation left, like one you've planned? Are we all pretty? Oh, really? Wow, so it's just me. I get them all done by the end of July. Um, they're tough. My wife says that having kids is a dense time in life. She says that it's really, really hard and really, really good. And I find that to be true. Vacations are really, really hard and really, really good. Like whatever time the night before we say, we're going to leave at this hour, you take that and you add 1,200%. Like it never goes even remotely to what, because before, when it was just her and I, throw stuff in the bag, get it in the car, and just go. And now, I swear it'd be easier to just lift the house up, put it on dollies, and pull it all the way to wherever we're going. Everything will be in it. We're good. When I was a kid, I didn't understand it. And there was the tension that was there where we would, it took forever to leave. It would start out with, what we're going to do is we're going to have, have all your stuff packed, kids. We'd be told, we're going to have breakfast, and then we're hitting the road, and we'll have lunch at the beach. Okay. And eventually it became, okay, we're going to eat lunch here, and then we'll get dinner at the beach. And then it became, okay, look, we're going to leave in enough time to get dinner on the road. And then eventually it became, should we just leave after breakfast tomorrow? It always ended the same way to where all five of us were tense and hot in the car, waiting for mom to come out, and one of us would go in and pry her out of the kitchen because she'd be wiping the countertops down. Like, what would happen if she came back and it wasn't lemony fresh in the kitchen? I don't know. It was just always, it was an ordeal to get out. But every time with all the tension, both in my family now and my family when I was a kid, when the car is in drive and you're moving, the mood changes because you are on the move. In the military, the term for this is Oscar Mike, O-M, on the move. The company is Oscar Mike. And you are, you feel it. When I was a kid, you'd get out your best disc, put it in the discman, make sure it's set to not skip because the roads leading out of my house were skippy, put on the earphones and listen to uh, CDs back then. And when you were kids, maybe an eight track, a big, huge vinyl you carried with yourself, I don't know. Wait for the tubes to warm up in your tube radio. But the mood does change, doesn't it, when you're on the move? It changes from the tension of getting out and will it be there to where at least we're moving. You're hardly any closer to your destination, maybe 20 feet, because you're at the end of the driveway. But it feels a very different stage. Today we're going to read the story when Israel goes Oscar Mike, when they go on the move. They've been set out on such a hard path that there's a lot of intimidation before them. But it's such a strong theme throughout the entire book, throughout all of this, this written work of great odds against them. They have incredible faith that turns into courage, and that becomes success. They have faith in the face of things that are impossible because they believe that God is with them. In this moment, we're going to be reading today the crossing of the Jordan, which is a critical moment in the nation's history and in God's people's history. A lot of weight is in this moment, more than we could think. There was not necessarily a foretelling that one day Israel would cross the Red Sea and go into the land beyond it. But for generations, they've had this promise, you will one day possess the promised land. 
And even though some of the other tribes remained on the east of the Jordan, the promised land was initially promised as what was west of the Jordan to the Mediterranean. All this time they've been waiting to get to this point. All, everything that we've read from uh, when, when Genesis was recorded, they believe that Moses took those oral traditions and wrote them down so they could remember them in the desert. That book is all about coming into the place of promise. The books of, of Exodus and Leviticus, Deuteronomy, they are all leading up to building a system to have when they go take the land. It is leading up to this. This is the critical moment. And while they've had ancestors that live there, they've never possessed it. Everything's been building up. It's like that long takeoff time when you had 1,200% wandering in the desert, waiting, having times where the generations build in slavery. It's taking forever. And now they're here and they're on the move. I think it's worth noting that while it's not in this part of the literature, we know that Joshua kept the bones of Joseph with him, that they were given to him by Moses. As they're crossing over the bones of Joseph, who, who though he had so much honor, in Egypt. He went there. He was a man of great honor, but second in command, he was the one who began to build the, the place of refuge and fortress for Israel to live in. He had, was a man of incredible honor there. He refused a proper Egyptian burial and said, take my bones, give them to the Israelites, because when they come into the land of their promise, I'm going to be buried there. Of all the great things that that man did, that was the act that put him in the book of Hebrews and what we call the hall of faith. That was what marked his life is that he specified his bones would go with them. Promises, generations, all of this hope will go with them. And on this day, they'll cross over and into a homeland that was promised to them. And it's so important to know uh, that this is more than land holdings. It's more than getting property. I, as a person who's renting, would love to one day own a home. I feel like I know, but I don't know. I don't know. I, I, like What they're talking about here is more than owning land. It is a place. It is a home. It is a refuge for the kingdom to be, for God's people to grow as a society, to be united in, and to thrive. Their calling was to be something like priests to the world. It is a great moment. And while God's called them to great battles and to great victories, there's just obstacles ahead of them. There's difficult things ahead of them. And so we're going to read uh, this story today, and we're going to spend some time talking about it. So we're going to be in Joshua 3. We're going to be reading uh, starting in 9. It says, Joshua said to the Israelites, Come here and listen to the words of the Lord your God. This is how you will know that the living God is among you, and that he will certainly drive out before you the Canaanites, Hittites, Hivites, Perizzites, Gerashites, Amorites, and Jebusites. See the Ark of the Covenant, and also please congratulate me for saying all those people correctly. This is why you go to Bible college, just so you can read that one verse correctly. See the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord of all the earth will go into the Jordan ahead of you. Now then, choose 12 men from the tribes of Israel, one from each tribe, and as soon as the priests who carry the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, set foot in the Jordan, its waters flowing downstream will be cut off and stand up in a heap. You know, we hear that legend, which actually didn't happen, and that's so disappointing when Babe Ruth points the bat in the World Series and he hits it. He wasn't, that didn't really happen, but it's, this is kind of like the bat pointing thing. Did you know that didn't happen? He was getting in a fight with the other dugout and he was threatening him with his bat. He hit it in a completely opposite direction, but the hysteria of the World Series made all the witnesses forget what happened. But I have to give, like, this is a big call from Joshua. 
breaking camp when you're a nomadic people, this isn't a matter of, let's just grab your satchel, let's head down to the water. They camped for months, years in locations. This is, we're all going to go, an amazing miracle is going to happen, and everyone get ready. I, maybe, I would love to have faith like that one day. Good for him. Uh, so when the people broke camp uh, to cross the Jordan, the priests carrying the Ark of the Covenant went ahead of them. Now the Jordan is at flood stage all during harvest, yet as soon as the priests who carried the Ark reached the Jordan, their feet touched the water's edge, the water from upstream stopped flowing. It piled up in a heap a great distance away at a town called Adam in the vicinity of Zarethan. While the water was flowing down to the Sea of Arabah, I believe that's how you say that. No, I'm not getting my money's worth from Bible college. That is the Dead Sea. Uh, your translation might say the Salt Sea, which is what it literally says there. Uh, this was completely cut off. And so the people crossed over opposite Jericho. This is an interesting thing because why go this way? This region, uh, different times called different things, Israel, Palestine, uh, Cana, uh, this region's been conquered over and over and over again by many people. And everyone followed the same plan. You go south or you go north and you go around the deep waters of the Jordan so that you can cross easily. Always from the south or the north, the land is conquered. That's how Assyria did it. That's how Babylon did it. That's how Egyptian, or the Egyptians took the southern portion for a while. To take Jericho first is kind of like if you invaded the United States and the first battle was in Denver. It is in the middle. How would you even get there? It is a bizarre thing. Because it's, it's a sign. All the signs are so critical. They point to something very specific, the thing that we're meant to take note of. And the, the, the magnitude of this sign is incredible. You'll notice the text, I'm sure when I read it, maybe you noticed it talks about how much... They walked on dry land. It says dry land, dry land. These are people that lived among the Jordan. They know that when flood stage recedes, you've got silt and mud for weeks. If there was, if there was a magic dam that just appeared and the water was cut off, they would wait months for that riverbed to dry out. It was marked because it was such a miracle that it isn't just that the water stopped flowing, but where there had been a river, where there had been an obstacle, it was gone. It was completely dried up. An incredible miracle. And the image is powerful, too, of, of stacking up in heaps, building a wall. The same kind of words are used in the Psalms referring to water being split. It's used when the Red Sea is split. It's this picture of turbulent chaos, but God taking control of the chaos and building walls of protection around his people as they pass through it. It's an incredible sign. To Israel, the sign was that God would subdue. Israel was ever hyper aware of the Jordan. They were aware of it. It was the first thing they would have to cross. And it was going to be difficult. It would almost be like Normandy because the Canaanites knew the regions people would come from. The cities in the north and the south were more fortified and ready for it. They'd been fighting for these kind of battles many times, and they were very aware of it. And in fact, at flood stage, this is a picture of the Jordan at flood stage. When it floods, it moves quick. It moves rough. So they all broke camp. They went in there and they stood at that. And there is not one word of criticism recorded against Joshua. And I think it's because they're so good at whispering. Because that looks terrifying to me. The question on everyone's mind, how will we get around it? But God reigns over the chaos and puts in that wall of protection around them. 
and the, the meaning of it. The point of the sign, Joshua, tells them what it is. God is going to do this so that you understand that when he calls you to go fight these people, he is sovereign and he is powerful. What he did to the river for you to get across, he will do to them as well. It is so easy for us to look at the problems in our own life and to think, how can this be solved? And we always think in human terms of the things that's going on, what needs to be solved, the barrier that's in the way. And we forget that these things, when you belong to God, aren't subject to human plans to destroy them, but subject to divine intervention. It's an incredible sign of protection. Did they wonder how God would protect them? Did they spend their time nervously thinking, when we go up north, when we go to the city of Adam and we go to, to take it so we can finally get in, how hard is it be? Will he protect us from the arrows? Will he protect us from those things? And yet they found out that they were going to see something their parents told them about, that this generation, except for Joshua and Caleb, would have been too young to remember the Red Sea. Most of them would have been so young, and now they're going to see it for themselves. The issues in your life are not subject to human power, but to divine power. To their enemies, this was a sign also. It's a sign that they were not facing anything less than divine judgment. That this is not going to be the way they thought it was. The region of Adam floods. The region that, that would have been preparing and thinking that they are thinking that they are going to face men with swords and shields charging at them. And what they face charging at them is enormous torrents of water that flood out their city. It would have been a good place to cross there. In fact, we know historically this is where the Babylonians roughly crossed when they came in and conquered. They would have expected human invasion, and instead it's this divine invasion. They know something that is very true, and it was this, it's amazing. The sign to both was the same sign. That to the people of Adam, they realize they're not going to fight Israel. They're going to fight Israel's God. And that's, I think, really critical because there are things in Joshua that almost made me nervous to pick it as a study book because this is a really violent book where there is a lot of death and there is a lot of violence. And I think it's very important to remember the nature of this violence. The violence that's in Joshua is not to condone violence and killing. It's to reveal that God has the right to judge. That what happened to Cana and what happened in this region is God's judgment being poured out. It's to say God has the right to judge. This term is used frequently, totally destroys. It's translated in English. One Hebrew word means to completely wipe out. Everything in the city must be erased. Everyone is to be put to the sword. It's used again as, as Israel continues to expand and take lands that weren't finished in this book. This book, is, has, they take much of it, but some regions aren't. King Saul, hundreds of years later, about 400 years later, He's told uh, by the prophet Samuel to go and totally destroy the Amalekites. So he goes to do it, and he mostly does do it. But he really just killed more of the weaker people, kept some strong, kept the king. He kept some of their cattle. And something critical happens there. Because Saul was sent to carry out God's judgment against them, but he makes it about himself. If you do something in God's name, but it's for you, you do it in your name. It wasn't God's judgment. At that point, it really did just become human genocide. Saul receives the full judgment of God for this thing. And eventually, based on what he did there, he is destroyed and his kingdom, his line is cut off. 
this story and the image of God being the one that invades Canaan, to be the one that, that brings out the judgment is so critical because we realize that only God has the right to such judgment, to do such things. Now, luckily for us, matters have changed in terms of who is our enemy. In the times of Christ, these things have changed. Ephesians uh, 6 says, uh, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Does this sound familiar? Joshua, uh, to me, Joshua and Paul sound very similar here. Put on the full armor of God that you may take a stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers and against authorities, against the powers of uh, dark in this world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Paul echoes Joshua's call to courage in the face of our enemies with one critical interpretation. Our enemies are spiritual in nature. You see, if the Canaanites would have changed, if there was repentance among them, mercy would have been poured out. We forget that in the, in the age when God sent Christ to sanctify people, his Holy Spirit convicts them, you can have hope for the worst people. The Canaanites among us can have their hearts changed, desperately and dramatically changed. God would have had such mercy that you could say that perhaps if one person in that whole region would have turned to God, maybe he would have done something crazy like, cross the Jordan and arrive at her city first. Rahab of Jericho is the only person who had any kind of repentive heart, who, who said, we believe that you, I believe that your God is real, that he is powerful, that he has come to bring judgment, have mercy on us. Her God becomes their, or their God becomes her God. She marries into their, to, uh, the nation, and in fact, she's even in the genealogy of Christ. God has incredible mercy on those that were turned their hearts. And in the times of Jesus, that possibility, the boundaries of who is available and open to salvation has changed dramatically. And it changes the, changes the way that the kingdom of God interacts and who becomes the enemy. In the same way that a doctor would fight cancer within a patient and not the cancer patient, the church fights sin and darkness in this world and not the world itself, not the people that are in it. Billy Graham distilled this New Testament truth into the saying, love the sinner, but hate the sin. To simplify it and bring it down to such terms, this is the era under Christ when kindness leads to repentance and mercy is our display of strength as we turn the other cheek. So our enemies that we attack, these are not going to be perhaps the same enemies we had before, but they still, the sin, the darkness within us deserves the same ruthless and divine judgment to set free those it oppresses. Our enemies, this sin and darkness, it attacks us, it attacks others. Whenever sin goes completely unconfronted in your life, the enemy is among you. When you're pushed into silence and you won't participate, you won't reach out, you won't speak up because of the shame within you, you are not living in the victory that is yours. God calls us to be victorious in our lives, to not be oppressed, to not be under anything. Galatians 5 says in verse 1, it is for freedom that Christ set us free. Stand firm then and do not let yourselves be burdened again by the yoke of slavery. In 16, he sums this up saying, so I say, walk in the spirit, 
and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. There is a phrase that we are going to read several times as we go through this study where God tells Joshua, go out and attack them. I have delivered them into your hands. This promise of victory, this assurance, go and attack that city. I have delivered them into your hands. If you've been waiting for something to tell, for, for some message to come to you to say, the enemies in your life, the things that are plaguing you, the things that makes you a slave in your own life, go out and attack them for the Lord has put them into your hands. That is your verse. It is for freedom that Christ set you free. Enemies can be sin, wounds, broken belief, anything that makes you feel like a prisoner in the redeemed life that you have. Anything that makes a saint feel like a prisoner is the enemy. When all the while it's been for freedom that we've been set free. You're not meant to feel like a captive within your life. That is not something that you are meant to feel. They can be personal enemies. They can be generational things, things that we see that have been over our family forever, and they're intimidating and they're great. For our, for our people we're reading about today in this story, they're seeing barriers and things that kept their, their families out for generations. But the call to victory changes everything. There's this really interesting part of how this ends. It's too much to read today, but this, the, the monument that they build after this event. The priests, poor guys, they had to stand there the whole time. I mean, we're talking a whole nation, and they had to stand there. And they stood. Uh, Joshua first had the 12 men get these rocks and place them where the priests were. And then as right before the priests leave, he tells them, go take the rocks and stack them up, 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 up outside the river. When the priests leave and the ark leaves the riverbed, the floodwaters return, and it becomes a torrent again. And at the time whenever Joshua was written, the rocks are still there. So the narrator tells us then they're still there to this day. But there's this really interesting word that he puts in there. It's so poetic and it's so beautiful that it doesn't say they took the rocks and laid them in place. It says they took the rocks and rested them in place. The, the theme of rest and being given rest in the land, of God winning the battle, the fight being over and having rest in the promises is one of the great themes of the book of Joshua. And the symbol to them was so clear. Those rocks used to be at the bottom of that river and by the miracle and hand of God alone are they out here in dry land and they have been given rest, not that side of the Jordan, but on this side in the land of promise, just as you are being brought across and you will be given rest in the promises God has for you. I want you to think of the enemies in your life, the things that make you feel like a prisoner. Have you ever imagined them so subdued, so destroyed, so conquered by God that you feel rest about them? Actual restfulness, the, the attention loosing in the shoulders, the spirit coming to rest to where you sleep in peace, you feel no shame and you limp in pain from it no longer. Let us not forget that the sign to both Israel and the Canaanites was the same. Yahweh was going to do the conquering. Israel had faith, but God was the one that conquered the land. 
The Jordan crossing was a sign that God himself would do things for them they could not do. Parting waters for Israel, that he will defeat their enemies the same way he did that right before them. When Israel set out on the move, that was their expression of faith. They live out this call to walk out, to walk in freedom, and to take what the Lord asked them to take. It's about setting out on a move, going out Oscar Mike and trusting God for victory. Today, so many of us, we stand on the banks of the Jordan with its torrent waters and its rumbling, and we're petrified by the boundaries and battles ahead. And so we're stuck frozen, remaining in captivity. But don't be afraid and see what the Lord has done, that he has parted the waters in front of you. Go and face them. I've delivered the enemy into your hands. It isn't a matter of some people get victory and some don't. God called us to be victors in our life, to not live as prisoners anymore. This isn't a call to get your life together. Walking in the Spirit doesn't mean get your stuff together. It means go out trusting that God will deliver you. I, I was thinking and reflecting this week about what David said about uh, the lion and the bear. I always, in my memory, he tells King Saul when he's going to fight Goliath, he says to him, uh, I killed a bear and I killed a lion by the power of God. He literally says, God delivered me from the hand of the bear and the lion. David ran into that trouble with, he was just a kid. He was not matched for that fight and he didn't think he was. But he figured if I get here, God's got to show up. If I get backed into a corner, he will come. This is even true of when he kills Goliath. Slingshots were used all the time in warfare. The defense is you would hold up a shield and all it would do is the slingshot was supposed to strike a shield so a person couldn't see you and you'd charge up in an unexpected path or the, the infantry would do that while you were throwing rocks. Meaning that Goliath goes to block it. He looks down for just a split moment and that's why the text is so specific where the rock hits him, it hits him in the one spot that would have been exposed for a split second. The whole point of that narrative is that that wasn't a one in a million shot. It was a divine shot. David threw a rock at someone who was fully covered in steel. And for a split second, one vulnerable part came out and God took the stone and drove it right into his head. The fact is, is that God is not telling you, get your life together, have more skill, be a better slingshot man, be a better soldier, fight harder. It's almost a call of do what I said, Go get yourself in trouble on the battlefield and I'll deliver you from the hand of your enemies. Go out, get on the move. Start out, get moving. The Lord is gonna deliver you and he walks with you because that is walking in the spirit. Reach out to your faith community. Start asking questions, begin the fight. We can become so petrified, we don't want to start it. Joshua has incredible faith to say, let's go. We're going to go and we're going to believe that something crazy is going to happen, that the Jordan is going to stop flowing. God told me it's going to happen. Let's go see it. And on that faith, being on the move, getting out, starting it, God begins an incredible thing. And when God does something amazing, peace comes over us and victory begets victory. This book is nothing but a long winning streak. They go on this incredible victory tirade, doing things that is just amazing. And it happens because God gives them that initial sign. 
Let God give you initial signs. Let God deliver you from things in your life because as it happens, it builds, it grows one thing to the next, greater and greater. But it starts when we go on the move. When we go on the move, the mood changes. It is our posture of faith. And we trust God to deliver us when we get there. I'm gonna pray for us. And uh, uh, we'll take off. Lord, today... We need to have the kind of courage that we're reading about. Not a pessimism that guards us and protects us, that we won't take the risk for greater things because we don't want to be disappointed. But that we would take the great and mighty risk to go on the move to believe that you could really set us free of that thing. The enemy that encroaches around us, the enemy we feel in our own life, you could deliver us. Just as Israel was hyper aware of the boundary, the thing that they feared that they couldn't get past, Lord, are we not also aware of the things we fear we can't get past? Lord, give us faith to put one foot in front of the other, and then the next, and the next, and the next. Help us to go on the move that we wouldn't be petrified in fear but that we would recognize that it is for freedom that you've set us free, that this is the battlefield we're called into, and this is the moment to have courage. The cause that we are to have courage for is to be free in you. Because Lord, when we're free in you, we can live out your will like we never could before. Doing things that we never thought were possible. Give us signs, Lord, that it would be like stepping ladders, that we would see you work and we'd step out further, Lord. They saw you split the Jordan. They went to Jericho. They saw you collapse the walls. They move on. They saw your mercy. They saw your protection. They saw your signs and wonders. Help us to be on the move that we could cross over to and see them. Let us have victory in our lives. God, I pray for the things that have been encroaching over us and towering over us that we thought they'll never be departed. Give us rest from those things as you give us victory.